I love that song, and I love when Michael sings it because I know his story, and I know it's true, and it's true for me as well. You know, it's interesting. The older I get, the more I believe that. It's not just a cliche, all my hope is in Jesus, and it's not just when life isn't good or when life is hard. You know, it's one thing to think, I'm in prison, and my, my only hope is in Jesus, or I have cancer, my only hope is in Jesus, and those are true. But I'm realizing that even when life is going well, and I'm heading down the road, the only hope for a life that has any real meaning, any real satisfaction, any real purpose is in Jesus. It's in a relationship with him that life works. And so I'm coming to believe that song uh, so much more these days, and, and maybe by the time we're done, you'll believe it as well. So um, I was reading a study that Cody sent me recently, and there was a, a study of 42,000 college students um, who were in college uh, while they were in college, and it was started in 1989, continued up to today. And in this uh, study of college students, there was an interesting thing that came forward, and it was the fact that um, more recently, college students have become so much, so much more perfectionist. In other words, their expectations for themselves, for others, has risen so much. As, as they kind of measured this, in the last few years, uh, college students, uh, uh, what they believe society expects of them has risen like by 30% more than they did in 1989, college students. Uh, and another um, category, there was three. One was what they expect of others. And so their expectations of others has risen significantly well uh, as well. And their expectations about themselves, what they think they should be accomplishing and at what level has also risen. All of this has over the last uh, number of years. And what's interesting is the authors of the study also correlated this with a 30% increase in college students seeking health for mental health issues. And so there, it seems that the more perfectionist they are, the more they are anxiety-ridden and can't cope with it. And the author said that they didn't know what was causative, but their guess had to do that it was tied in with social media. That because everybody's on social media showing how great their life is, how well they're doing, representing their very best image of themselves, that everybody else is trying to live up, up to a false image that somebody else is presenting and projecting, and this is causing anxiety. Now, some of you may be perfectionists. Some of you may be anxious about not performing well enough or achieving enough or whatever. Some of you may struggle with that. And so I have a couple of scriptures for you. And, uh, and here's the first one, Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, that didn't help much, did it? Well, how about this one then? 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Did that help? Didn't help so much? Because holiness is worse than perfection because like, it's like perfection plus God is watching, right? That's holiness, right? So now here's my theory. You just think about this. If we're going to get this year off right and, and we're doing this series called Perfect uh, from Afar but Far from Perfect because that's the truth about all of us, right? We try to make ourselves look good. We you know, get cleaned up, take a shower on the weekends and, uh, and show up at church and, uh, and try to look good, project it, but we know really uh, what's really going on with us. So what do we do with this? So here's the deal. Here's my theory. My theory is that we're all made for perfection. We, all, we have within us a desire for perfection. Think about where we were created to live, in a perfect place in the garden, to have a perfect relationship with God who is perfect. And so this desire for perfect is a legitimate thing. The problem is why we want perfection and why we think we need it and how we go about trying to achieve it. The truth is none of us can achieve perfection, so we ended up just trying to impress others, to make them think that we're perfect or that we're close to what we really are. 
So here is the deal. If there is a perfect God and we were made to have a relationship with this perfect God and there remains this shadow of a desire within us that wants to be in a perfect place with a perfect God and a perfect relationship, how do we process that? Because we'll never be perfect. We live in an imperfect world. We'll always just be disappointed if we don't come to grips with what this means and understand it. So let me read this for you. Um, uh, in Hebrews 12, 14. Make every effort, here's the critical issue, make every effort, remember that phrase, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Okay, that's nice. And the second part of it, and to be holy. Make every effort to be holy. This is a critical issue here. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So here's the deal. Make every effort. Here's the reality. Those college students are pursuing perfection. Um, we will, with our lives, pursue something. Every one of us will pursue something. The question is, what do you pursue? How do you pursue it and why? These college students are pursuing something that's unattainable and it's wrecking them emotionally. Um, we all pursue something. What is it we're supposed to pursue? And I happen to believe, by the way, that we're happiest when we're pursuing the right thing. So we live in a society that says um, uh, living within the constraints is not good. If we could just throw off constraints and just do whatever we want, um, then we'd be happy. It's not true. You can only eat so much ice cream, right? And so we were created to pursue something. But the question is what and how? So my dad, who is in ministry forever, uh, understands ministry very well, says to me uh, after I came back from a vacation, he says to me, what's it feel like to be back in the harness again? And, you know, there's an agriculture kind of reference there. And, and, and it, but I like the way he said it because it wasn't, what does it feel like to be back at work again? It was, what does it feel like to be back in, harness, in the harness again? The truth is, I think we were created to do some things. And when we're in that harness of that responsibility, in that flow of what God made us to do that is important to him and important to us and important to the world, when we're in that, we are the happiest. That's my theory. The Bible says without a vision that people perish. What it really means is without, without living within the constraints, people will self-destruct. A part of knowing what to pursue and how to pursue it is the key to living your life. It is important to be in the harness of whatever it is you're supposed to be doing. So what is it? Is it seeking perfection? Is it impressing people? Whatever it is. It's this word holiness. Holiness. That's what we're to be pursuing. How we pursue it, I'll talk about in a moment. Now, I happened to grow up in the Midwest, and my parent, my grandparents lived in a little town in Missouri. And there was a group of people there at one particular church that figured out what holiness was. They figured it out. It was how you dress. It was. That's what they figured out. They figured out the women had to wear long skirts and couldn't cut their hair and always wore them in a bun right here and couldn't wear makeup. And some of them needed it. I'm not going to lie to you. Some of them <laughs> could use some help. A little new paint on the barn would have helped. Um, so, and that was the guys. But anyway, so, um, and so they had figured out that holiness was, you didn't cut your hair, you didn't wear makeup. Guys uh, never wore long hair. They did cut their hair. And, and uh, women uh, wore dresses down around their ankles. And if you looked goofy enough, then you were holy. That, that was the picture I got when I was a kid. And so the whole idea of holiness was just silly. By the way, if you think that's silly, think about the Pharisees and scriptures. The Pharisees thought they were holy because they kept all the rules. Since birth, I have done these things. And since birth, I have never done these things. Therefore, I am holy. They even took pride in their own holiness. Does that seem wrong somehow, right? 
Same with the people in the town of Missouri. They dressed goofy and they took pride that they were holier than the people who wore makeup or whatever it was. So this holiness is an interesting thing. But if we can understand what it is, then we can pursue holiness. And that's how God will guide us um, to the life we've wanted and uh, life hereafter. So holiness, holiness, holiness. What does holiness mean? It means separatedness, separateness, separatedness. That's not a word. Can we make it a word? Can we just vote and have that be a word? No? Separateness. So separateness. So my, my, my observation of the people in, in the little town were that they read, they understood it was to be separate, and so they decided the way they should be separate was their physical dress. The Pharisees decided to be separate by certain rules or whatever it was. But here is, here is the, the misconception about holiness. Holiness isn't about keeping the rules. It may cause you to live differently, it, it, but if we're not careful, it'll, it'll devolve into kind of a moralism. We don't do these things, therefore we're holy. That's not what holiness is at all. Holiness is about a couple of things. It's about knowing God through Jesus Christ and becoming more like him. That's what holiness is. It's to separate ourselves to God. So let's get a baseline here. God is holy. We all know that. That more times that's a prefix to, to reference to God, holy God, than any other prefix. We know that, but we don't know what it means. It, it's very close to the word perfect, actually. If you think about God, you think about, is his attitude perfect? Yes. Is his understanding of truth or belief system perfect? Yes. Uh, is is, is um, his action perfect? Yes, always. Not only is it perfect, it always lines up with itself. In other words, what he thinks, what he believes, what he intends is what he does. That's not true with us, right? I may believe, think, intend, but I still eat too much ice cream, right? Because I am not holy. I am not perfect. My actions don't always line up with my beliefs, but God wants them to get more in line to get in line. So here's what holiness is. Holiness is a God who is perfect. He is separate from us. He is different from us because he is perfect. Now, holiness for us means two things. There's a positional holiness and there's an active, practical kind of holiness. So when I become a Christian, I believe in Jesus. Jesus did what? He died on the cross so I could be forgiven and be reconciled to God. And so when God looks at me judiciously, like judicially, like, like legally, he looks at me and because I've accepted the forgiveness that Christ offered, he paid my price, I am holy. Positionally, I am holy. Practically, not so much right? Because it's not all lined up. I still believe certain things. I'm not acting out very well, right? Before God, I am holy. I am forgiven. But in my life, I have got to grow into that. So I love skiing. I'm not a great skier. I suck up skiing late in life. But I love skiing. And I could put my whole outfit on. And I almost look like a skier. <laughs> kind of round one, but a skier. And, and I can get out there. And on my little green bunny slopes, I am a skier, until some dude comes flying off a double black diamond at the top, goes whizzing past me, and suddenly I don't look so much like a skier. I want to be a skier, but I'm a skier. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm a green slope skier. He's a double black diamond. Who's the real skier here? Right? But I'm a skier technically. Technically, I am holy. But my day-to-day -day life needs to get more in line with what I really am. And so here's the picture of holiness. This is what we're to pursue. God has a lifelong learning plan for you and me. He has this lifelong character development 
faith-generated uh, uh, learning plan for us. And the more we grow into this holiness, the more he wants to make us like Jesus, which is really interesting because nobody dislikes Jesus. Even people who aren't of faith read about Jesus and they read the gospel and goes, I like Jesus. God wants us to be more like Jesus, and that's called holiness. And he wants us to move that direction. And that's a part of what we need to aspire to. Um, so if you want to know what your year is about, you set out, you did your New Year's resolution, let me put something on the top of it. Pursue holiness. That's the first, it'll make you a better husband, a better wife, a better child, a better employee. It'll change all the other stuff on your list. Pursue holiness. And so this idea of holiness is something, it's not about keeping the rules. It will change how we act morally eventually, but for a reason other than just keeping the rules. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Let me read a passage for you. Um, it's found in Philippians. How do we pursue holiness? Now listen to this, Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Um, because here's the deal. Well, let me, let me read it and then I'll, then I'll tell you the deal. Uh, continue to work out your salvation. Well, now this is a weird phrase. Anybody who's done a little bit of theological study knows that we don't earn our salvation. That's what my friends in Missouri were trying to do. If we dress goofy enough, God will love us and accept us, right? It doesn't say work for your salvation. It doesn't say that you can't do enough good stuff to impress God because you've already screwed up too bad. We all have, okay? So you're not trying to impress God. Here's, it, says, it says work out your salvation. The picture is I am, I am holy. I am forgiven. Now work that out. Live in accordance with that. Figure out what that means. How do you live as that person? So work, uh, work out your salvation. And then it says, and then it goes to the next, next phrase, and it, says, and it says continue to work out. It's not a one-time thing. It's a lifelong deal, right? For it is God who works in you. Wait a minute. You just told me to work, and now it says God works. Yep. Because it's a partnership. God's not going to do anything in your life that you don't want to cooperate with. He's not going to give you more love, more peace. He's not going to make you more caring, compassionate person if you don't choose to cooperate with it. And so while God is doing this work in your life, we have to choose to cooperate. We have some ownership in this deal. We have to choose to become more like Jesus, to allow him to guide us in that. Um, and then here, here is the fun thing. For it is God who works in you to will, to act, and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So this whole thing about Christianity isn't a self-improvement thing so I can get better and I can be more like Jesus and feel good about myself. That's not what it's about at all. It is so that I can allow God and I can cooperate with God as he makes me more like Jesus, more holy, so that I can do his good purposes. You are here for a reason. But unless you're growing in holiness, you'll never get a chance to do whatever that purpose is. It might be to influence somebody. It might be to change an entire nation. It might be any number of things that God has you here for. But it's the growing in holiness that allows the Holy Spirit to work in you so that you can do the good purposes. And the good purposes are things that God created you to do, gifted you to do, gave you the background so that you could do better than anybody else and is the most fulfilling, joyful thing that you can do with your life. And so holiness is about allowing him to make you more like Jesus so that these good purposes can be served in your life where you can do these things. Now, um, so make every effort to do this. So as, as we kind of think about how to do that, let me, let me talk about a couple of things. One, it's not keeping the rules. Do you know why I pick up my dirty clothes off the floor and put them in the in laundry basket? My wife, my, my wife is the right answer. My wife made me is the wrong answer. Because at first she made me, and then I decided I love this woman. And it makes this woman very unhappy when I leave stuff all over the house. And so the real motivation wasn't because she was going to give me grief, because you know, I could deal with that. 
I grew up with two brothers. Who cares? <laughs> the real motivation is I love this woman, and I want this woman to have a great life. And if something as simple as picking up my dirty clothes and putting them in the laundry basket can make her life better, I want to do that because I love her. Right? So what is the motivation? So I said it's this idea for perfection is about what you pursue and how you pursue it or why you pursue it, your motivation. The motivation for becoming holy isn't, isn't because I'm afraid of God. It's because I don't want to disappoint God. It's because I love God. Because God has done so much for me. Every day when I sit down to do my prayers, I enumerate the things that God has done for me and how unworthy. My hope really is in Jesus. And if he has done that much for me, why wouldn't I want to do these things that bring pleasure to him not to mention they benefit me and could eventually benefit the world around me. It's a relational thing. I'm not trying to be perfect so other people will be impressed. I'm trying to be holy so I can please the God who saved me. It's a whole different motivation. So what's the, what's the problem? Well, I don't think some of us are really desperate enough to actually do that process. And, and, and again, I, I, don't, I don't want to be super harsh, but I think we see Christianity as an add-on. But let, just take it from a guy who's getting older. There is nothing else in life that brings the joy, the fulfillment, the meaning and the purpose of having a relationship with Christ and knowing that I'm in this process and that there will be a good outcome of that. Nothing else fills me up. Nothing else. Not money, not achievements, nothing else. You just got to take my word for it. And until you get desperate enough to experiment and trust him on that, you're probably not going to find out. So Connie and I were traveling recently, and we're in a little bitty town. And we ended up in a little bitty town, nowhere near a big city anywhere. And both of us, because we've been driving all day the day before and flying all that day, both of us, uh, our backs went out. Both of us were having serious back pain. And uh, so here, we would just call our chiropractor. We'd go and, you know, get it fixed, right? And so I was in uh, the biggest store in town, which happened to be a bait and tackle shop. And... Um, and I said to the old boy, uh, who was a little older than me and spent a lot of time outside, you could tell, and he sold bait and tackle for a living. I said, hey, do you guys have a chiropractor in this town? And he kind of got this grin on his face. And I knew I'd asked the wrong guy. And he said, well, I ain't never had nothing like that done to me. But if you want to, there's a guy over there. And then he walked away laughing like city slicker. And so I'm like, whatever. And so I go over there at what we call first, and we don't get a response. So we go. I just go in there. And, 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 there, and honestly, goodness, doors open. And there's a little counter. And there's a bell. Ding. I hit the bell. And, and the guy comes out, and he, ah, I'll be right back. And he comes out, and I can't describe the guy too. He was funny. And, uh, and he says, yeah. And I said, uh, well, my wife and I are both having back trouble. Is there any way you could fit us into your schedule? He goes, I'll sit down. I'll get to you. Well, I turned out later, he didn't have a schedule. Just whoever showed up at the office. So we'd have been waiting for a return phone call forever. He had no schedule. He starts every day with just a bank site and whoever shows up. So he finishes with the guy, and he, out, and so he says, come on back, both of you. No medical records, nothing, just first names. And, and so he says, okay, he says to Connie, you sit there, and you get on the table. And, uh, and so he starts poking around. He doesn't ask me where it hurts, doesn't ask me anything. And he's telling me his philosophy and all this stuff. And he's showing me, you know, how to, and he wasn't, like, doing any of this stuff. He was just doing this stuff, like, like doing that. And, uh, and then he measured my fingers. I don't know what that was about. And, uh, and, then, and then he says, you know, when I do this on horses, I use a mallet. And so I didn't look at my wife because I know right now she's trying to get out of this office. She's screaming like, you know, and, and, I, I, but I, and, and he said, but on dogs, I don't have to use a mallet. And so now I'm tickled, you know, I'm like, this is hilarious. And it explains the smell in the office. And so honest to, honest to goodness, I'm not lying. I am not making this up. It's much worse than I'm actually telling you. 
And so, and so I'm laying there, and he's poking around and doing this stuff and telling me all of his philosophy and all this stuff. And I'm just imagining a mallet. So I finally said, what kind of mallet? Is it like rubber or wood? Oh, no, they're rubber. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have different sizes. And I'm thinking, is he going to pull one out and, you know, work on me a little? Two hours later, my wife and I walk out of the office. And, and, and there never been mention of money or anything. So then it dawns on me, i gotta, I got to pay for these two hours somehow. And I have no idea what he's going to charge me. And I'm thinking if he charges by the pound, <laughs> I'm smaller than a horse, bigger than most dogs. <laughs> I don't know. How do you do this thing? <laughs> so, <laughs> so we get in the car and we are laughing so hard. I mean, we were just laughing so hard. I, it was hilarious. It was one of the most entertaining experiences I had in my life. And what was weird is about two hours later, my wife looks at me and goes, you know, I think my back feels better. <laughs> and I said, and honestly, I said, I completely forgot about mine. It's perfect. We were fine. We were completely cured for the rest. <laughs> so here's the deal. Do you think, just give me the odds on my wife actually sitting in a chiropractor's office here in Southern California that treats horses and dogs. No, she would never have gone in there. She would never, but you know what? She was in pain and she was desperate. Here's what I believe. I believe that we live in a society that is so economically prosperous and we are so comfortable that we don't realize how much pain and how desperate we really are. Because if you are looking for your meaning in anything else other than Jesus Christ, your destiny is the anxiety those college students feel. Because it's not anywhere else. Your hope truly is in Jesus. And until we get desperate enough to sign up for his program, to sign up to become holy, to allow him to guide us and direct us into holiness, until we become serious enough about our faith, we're just going to keep playing games. And we're just going to walk around with a backache. Until you get serious enough to do it his way, even when you can't see how it's working and how it's going to work out, even if you can't understand all the angles, if, until you trust his character, his perfection, his holiness enough to sign up for his deal, you're just playing games. That's honest. So one more skiing illustration. So I, my son is cheap. He inherited that. I started skiing later. I'm not a great skier but I like to learn to ski, but I'm too cheap to pay for lessons. So whenever I see an instructor on the slopes, I ski behind them and listen. <laughs> it's true. No. Absolutely. I am not lying. It's absolutely true. Until they catch on and give me that look, and then I'll go find another instructor. <laughs> this one wasn't very good anyway. So <laughs> it's true. So here's what I see them do again and again, and I just saw it again this last time I went skiing, is I will see them take students who are at maybe this level, and they will say, follow me. And they will take them on a hill that's this level. And here's what they say. Stay right behind me and follow me, turn for turn. I watched it just the other day. This guy led these students who should have been down on the greens with me through this kind of double blue. And, and these kids could not ski. And they said, watch me. And this instructor just took nice, easy turns. And these right down behind him. And they never looked. He said, don't look up. Don't look where you are. Just watch me. And led them turn by turn down this hill, powder about that deep, pretty steep. And they got to the bottom. He said, now look where you've been. And they were shocked because they didn't have the ability to ski that. But they have the ability to follow him through that. Here's what Jesus says. Follow me. 
That's all he says is follow me. This year, if you are serious about becoming holy, as we're instructed to do, all you got to do is follow. He will guide you. He will tell you to deal with some of your attitudes. He'll tell you to knock off some actions. But you do it because you love him and you're growing, not because you have to, not because it's the rules. So Jesus says, follow me. And if you will follow him turn by turn, he will lead you places you never thought you could go. And you'll become someone you never thought you could be. And you'll have an impact in the world you never dreamed of. I will guarantee you money back if you sign up for his program. Let's pray. Lord God, today I thank you. Lord, I look in the mirror. I look at my past. And there's no way I should be here today. There's no way. But Lord God, as you lead me turn by turn, and I trust you, I don't look at the wind and the waves. I don't look at the circumstances and the challenges. But as I look at you, Lord God, you lead me in the way of holiness and righteousness. You lead me to become more like Jesus. And you lead me to places that I could never got on my own, places I have no business being without you. And yet you have me there. And Lord, help me to stay desperate, desperate enough to follow you every turn. Lord, give us a hunger for righteousness. Give us a hunger to do life your way. Give us the knowledge and the desperation required that we can't figure this out on our own, that we need to trust you. And Lord, as we do that, I pray that you will grow us this year. You will make us so much more like Jesus. And that is our goal for this year, is to pursue holiness, to follow you closely. Help us do that in Jesus' name. Amen.